production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our February Youth Forum. I'm Sudhi Ramesh. I'm a junior at Solon High School and a member of the City Club Youth Forum Council. And we're so glad that you decided to join us today for a meaningful conversation, a conversation on how Gen, Gen Z is navigating this ever-evolving political landscape. Ranked choice voting, the possibility of a true third-party contender, changing voting habits, more diverse ballots, and more are issues now front and center in American politics. Compounding all of the issues being brought to the forefront is the issue of the lack of youth in politics, despite this past election having the first Gen Z elected official. A September poll by CBS News found 47% of Americans cite the lack of youth in politics as an immediate concern. Further, 9 in 10 Americans believe that there should be an age cutoff to be president. Winston Churchill famously said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So how should this new generation of voting Americans handle this new frontier of American politics? What changes could be made and implemented to make sure voting Americans truly feel their voices being heard, while also making sure that our ballots truly reflect the most pressing issues in our country? Now, our panelists here today are here to shed light on some of those questions. Joining us today are Michael Bowen, JD, and the second vice president of the Cuyahoga County Young Democrats and attorney at Calfee, Holter, and Griswold. Next, we have Kyle Herman, Executive Director of Ranked, Rank the Vote Ohio, Rachel Collier, Program Director at the Ohio Student Association, and last but not least, Jen Miller, Executive Director at the League of Women Voters Ohio. And here to guide our discussion is Youth Forum Council member Zoe Ellenbogen. Zoe, I turn the forum over to you. Thank you. All right, well, to get us started, I just want to do kind of an introduction question. So this is for everyone. We can just go down the line. What's your earliest experience you can recall with voting? Maybe like going to with your parents, getting that sticker. Uh, Jen, if we want to start with you and work our way down. Yeah, so I loved Election Day. Um, I used to walk down. Our polling location was just, uh, I'm from small town Ohio, so it was just a block and a half away. And so we would eat dinner, and me and my parents would walk down there. And they had a youth ballot. And every year, I voted for Sitting Bull for president. <laughs> I remember, I remember the first time being asking who the individuals were. I think it was Elvis, and it was some some athlete. But every year, I voted for Sitting Bull. So, and I really <laughs> thought that was super fun. It made me very excited. I love that, Kyle. So I would go with my mom to vote when I was little. But the first time I was able to vote for myself was the. Uh, 2008 primary, uh, where I was able to vote for Barack Obama, who I was actually a, a student uh, organizer on campus at Ohio Wesleyan for, so that was very exciting for me. Nice. Rachel? Um, I remember spending a lot of time knocking doors, being dragged to knock doors for the school levy with my mom uh, when I was a kid, and so that's 
one of my earliest memories of being engaged in the process and we would go walk to vote together. And then I remember, uh, similarly to Kyle, um, in 2012, I remember getting up at like 6 a.m. to go stand in line uh, to, to vote for Obama. So uh, while I was a student at Ohio State. Yeah, I'm very much like Rachel. My mom was an elected official. She was a city councilwoman at Shaker Heights. So I was probably 14. And I don't know how many of you guys are 14 here. The last thing you want to do is go lit drop and knock doors on Saturday morning. But uh, that was kind of my experience. And then from there, I was kind of hooked. So those are all awesome. Wow, I got to say, I think I was pretty focused on the sticker until I voted for the first time <laughs> last year. So um, all right, moving on from that, I have just some baseline questions for us. And then we can just see where that takes us. So my first question. How do we encourage people to vote who have been historically included or discouraged from participating in the democratic process, both through a legislative lens historically and socioeconomic factors today? Whoever wants to take this one can jump in. This is really for anyone. I would say that uh, in order to encourage more people to vote, you have the problem of access to the ballot, which we see a lot of barriers for, but you also have the problem of motivation. And so what we're seeing is especially young people don't feel like they have as many choices and that their votes will be as meaningful. And that is a systemic problem. That is what my organization, Rank the Vote Ohio, is working on with trying to bring ranked choice voting to Ohio, which is already used in other states like Maine and Alaska. Uh, does, raise your hand if you know what ranked choice voting is. Okay, that's decent. Raise your hand if you want more choices when you go to vote. That's great to see. Uh, so uh, with ranked choice voting, instead of just picking one candidate, you can rank your choices first, second, third, and so forth. And that way, more parties and candidates can run. You can have more choice and more voice. And the big difference is that in Ohio currently, you don't need a majority to win an election. With ranked choice voting, you use an instant runoff system with those rankings in order to achieve a majority. So if the person you vote for as your first choice comes in last place and no one has a majority, that candidate is eliminated and your vote will simply transfer to your next choice. It's like runoffs like they do in Georgia, but instead of having to go to an entire another election, you know who your backup choice is. That means that there aren't spoilers, there's no vote splitting. The biggest reason why women, people of color, and young people don't run in higher numbers is because they're told to wait their turn. They're told you will split votes in a crowded field. Ranked choice voting solves that problem, and in the places that it's been used, it has increased uh, voter turnout and participation and representation across the board. Jen, you look like you want to jump in. Sure. Um, I think that's, those are really great examples. I think it's really important for us to connect how our daily lives are impacted by government and elections. So think about local judge. All of us at some point will go before a judge, maybe family court, maybe employment court, maybe traffic court. You know, you can vote on your local judges and who they are and what their values are can directly impact your daily lives. Um, school board, what's the curriculum at your school? Are we gonna teach history? A, a true accounting of history? Who you elect a school board directly affects that. Climate change. Who's in the Ohio State House? Who's in city council? Who's in county government? Are they funding transit? Are they funding solar panels? Are they bailing out coal and nuclear plants? What are they doing? And I think when we look at government and understand that it affects our daily lives, 
then we realize that we must participate. First, as voters, and if you're not eligible to vote, you know, you can of course be an advocate, be a, work at the polls when you're 17, but then also as advocates. The thing about government is that voting is just one piece. Then it's time to show up and tell those elected officials what you need. You actually help them be smarter when you tell them your experiences, when you tell them what you need. And so the whole cycle here is we vote, we advocate. We vote, we advocate. And our lives can be better because of it. I love that. Does anyone else want to add something to this question? Just, oh, oh, okay. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I'll just add because this is the, the drum that I'll probably beat over and over again today is that uh, is community organizing. Is that it's not, you know, to echo Jen, uh, folks don't see themselves or, or how they're impacted um, in elections. You know, they feel like their vote doesn't count. And so a lot of what we do at the Ohio Student Association is organize folks around the issues and organize people to see uh, civic engagement and see voting as one tool in a toolbox uh, of, of ways that we can take action and create change, uh, policy changes, concrete changes around how we spend uh, our tax dollars and the money that belongs to all of us collectively, um, and, and actually connect that for people with how they're living day to day and what they see in their daily lives. Uh, so when, when we organize our communities around these issues, oftentimes somebody that you know is the best messenger. Uh, so actually, you know, getting, getting folks to go out and be those messengers to the people that they know. Um, our parent organization, the Ohio Organizing Collaborative, um, has run, I think, the largest uh, relational organizing program in the state, um, and it's been really successful. People, people are most likely to listen to folks that they know, so each of us has the opportunity to be that messenger for the people that we know and to get organized and to organize others to be that messenger as well, to help people connect what's on the ballot with their day-to-day -day lives and to understand how they're being impacted. Uh, by by who's on the ballot or the issues that are on the ballot. Yeah, the only thing I'd add is is exposure. You know, seeing people who look like you in elected office. Mm -hmm. I mean, I use our the city of Cleveland right now. I mean, we have a 35 year old mayor, and to see a 35 year old young black man be the mayor of the city of Cleveland, that's exposure. That's you know, we I think it starts there to see it's even possible. Um, you know, when I was growing up, probably the only reason I'm sitting up here was because I started lit dropping and understanding how the political system worked and then started to kind of enjoy it and then got into government and went on and do other things. But, you know, we're finally starting to see some young leadership around the country. But in particular, I mean, this is the Northeast Ohio folks here. So in Northeast Ohio and to see that and to see it's possible, I think goes a very long way. I love that, and that leads me perfectly into the next question of, so looking at voting, but then how do we also make it so that, because running for elected office is typically considered elitist or not accessible, how do we break down those barriers of running for office so that we can see more of what happened in Cleveland with having someone who more accurately represents the population? Well, I'll hop into this side because I, you know, that's kind of <laughs> my, my previous world and previous life I ran campaigns. And so, a lot of it really comes down to, and I'm going to be blunt here, is having somebody be your kind of sponsor and really help you lead the way. Um, for example, I had people who really encouraged me to stand up and run a campaign or stand up and run for this office and really said, hey, you know, not only are we going to say that, but we're, our actions are going to back it up. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a campaign check. Look, at the end of the day, money is a part of politics. It always will be. And, you know, I'm sorry, but it's the, the cold, hard truth. 
and then, but take money out of it. Hey, I'm gonna walk you door to door. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you educated on the issues and those kind of things. I think that really breaks barriers because particularly, I, I would say in the black community, there is a, um, a level of uh, fear to, of running for office. You know, there's a level of just a layer that has to be broken because you don't understand, you know. I grew up in a household that votes. There's a lot of households of my friends who grew up, they didn't vote. You know, they just didn't say, well, what am I going to vote for? It's not going to help me anyway. And, you know, so breaking that down and really kind of going inside out is very important, I think. So I'll stop there. Absolutely. Does anyone else want to jump in for this question? Uh, I sort of already addressed it, but if you look at the systemic level uh, with a ranked choice voting, the, the biggest barrier of why more people don't run is because we're limited by our choices. Limited you have to be a member of one of two parties, and uh, often you will be in a crowded primary just to get a nomination where you don't even need a majority to win, and so you're just appealing to a very small group. We had people win primaries last year in Ohio with 28% or 32% of the vote because Ohio doesn't require a majority to win. And so uh, when you can run without worrying about splitting votes with members of your own <coughs> party and everyone can be on the same ballot in the general election, it r reduces the, the barriers to entry of raising money. For example, women have to raise more money than men do in order to compete on a level playing field. And so with ranked choice voting, though, we've actually seen what's nearing parity in representation by reducing those kinds of gaps. That's awesome. Wow. Okay. To take us a little farther away from the voting booth, what, do you, what are your thoughts on what challenges happen outside of the voting booth, what's most significant, and what can be done education-wise, reform-wise, so that every other day besides voting day, people feel confident to be engaged? Ooh, there's a lot there. Um, I, can, I can start one. Absolutely. I think fully funding public education in Ohio would be a great start so that people can get quality education and be able to, to get the tools that they need to think critically. Also access to, to higher education without um, the burden of, of debt, you know, without the financial barriers. We should fully fund public education, K through 12, and for higher education. That's how people can gain uh, a lot of the knowledge and the critical thinking skills to be able to engage in the process and to feel empowered to do so. And uh, you know, that's something that we can advocate for right now uh, in this year's state budget is to see you know, fully funded public education. I think that's, that's absolutely something. You know, and there's, there's a myriad of other things that influence people's ability to, to even you know, have the, the bandwidth and energy to engage at all you know, when you're trying to, to figure out how you're going to get your next meal or you're dealing with like, so many other issues uh, of survival, then it's really hard to, to be on that kind of you know, that level that's not so immediate. And so, again, fully funding public services and providing people with the tools that they need to, to be able to engage. Um, although that's also a political uh, endeavor, you know, that's gonna require us to organize and, and uh, take action to, to see those things fully funded. If I could build off that, uh, I was actually a high school history and civics teacher for my first two years after I graduated from Ohio Wesleyan, and so I'm appreciative to all the teachers who are getting their students engaged here today. Uh, and then uh, for four years before I started my current position, I was working on pro-democracy programs for an international organization called the National Democratic Institute for International Affairs on youth responsive programs. <coughs> we worked in more than 60 countries around the world. And this is a global phenomenon of a crisis of lack of faith in institutions and governance. Uh, the United States is not alone in this. This is a generational problem. And the root of it is 
education. Uh, people don't understand the history of how we got the institutions that we have today and how they are supposed to be responsive because they are not as responsive and they do not function like we are told they're supposed to in the textbooks. And so that's why we need to be able to break these systems open in order to educate people, give them more choices, because democracy isn't a destination, it is a process that each generation needs to continually engage and build in. I like that, I like that it's a destination, it's not, or it's a process, not something that can be arrived at. Does anyone else have anything on that? So the, the baby boomers make up about a third of the voting population. Millennials make up about a third of the voting population. My, my generation is like just a sliver, right? Um, but in 2020, only 46% of young voters showed up to vote, where uh, it was about 72% of individuals over 65. If you want this government to respond to your needs, if you want this government to fund education, to deal with student debt, to deal with climate change, this is your government more than it is anyone else's. And it's your future more than it is anyone else's. But until we see that level of participation, you're not being heard. You're letting other generations make decisions for you on who gets elected and what they do once they're in office. So voting is absolutely a critical piece. But the other thing I'll say, as someone who has brought young people now for 20 years to the state house, the state legislators really love when young people come in and talk about their experiences and talk about what they need and want. They listen to you in a way that they don't anyone else, again, because they also know that this is your Ohio more than it is theirs, and that will be the case a decade from now and a decade from now and on and on and on. And so part of it is participating in that process. And then if you want to run for office, you already have a sense as to what elected officials do because you've been into the hearing room and you've been into the legislative office and then you then can be better at making government work for everyone. And the one thing I quickly hear, and I think Rachel touched on this, which is important, is uh, you know, outside of the voting box is the access to the voting box. So mm -hmm. access to the ballot, you know, uh, let me be clear, the state of Ohio is trying to make it hard for, for everyone to vote. And it's not just us in this room, it's pretty much everybody to vote. Um, that, that's done purposefully. So I would say that probably the most important thing outside of the ballot box is to get access to that ballot box and be aware of what that looks like and kind of just the education piece of kind of having your, as I would say, your head on a swivel and kind of know what's going on around you. Absolutely. Um, no, and I think especially being under 18 too, that's another area we can explore of that being over 18, there's still that education problem. For people under 18, I just turned 18 recently myself, we're always told, pay attention to when you can vote, go vote. What would you say is the most decisive and like action that people under 18 or even people way younger, 13, can take without, having, without being able to vote? Well, I think you're doing it right now. Democracy is about who shows up. And uh, so I think you're doing it right now by being a part of this. Um, I think Rachel has an incredible organization. Young Dems is a great thing you can volunteer for. The League of Women Voters has something called Youth in Action, which is youth 13 to 25 across the state. And the youth decide what the programs are. The youth decide what the actions are. 
and the, those youth actually elect two board members to my state board who are young people. Um, and so I think there's all kinds of ways. If you are 17, make sure you do youth at the booth, right? Go be a poll worker, you get paid for the day, you get the day off school. If you're really savvy, you can probably get some extra credit from somebody for doing it and, and that class you really need. Um, those are all things. We do have a, one of my local league leaders here in the back and um, student membership for league is $5. Um, so, um, and with that, then you can attend our state house day in September for free. Everybody else has to pay, but you get fed and you can come for free and get trained on voting rights. These are all ways to just get involved and be part of the process. And it's not just for women, it's for everybody. That's, oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> yes, in fact, we have board members who are, are men or non-binary, so you're right. Good, thank you, Kyle. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, and also to add what, to what Jen was saying, use your voices, speak up. Get, you don't have to wait until you're 18 to start to telling people who are older than you what issues you care about and the changes that you want to see by the time you're able to vote or later in your life. Like, we have a, a generational challenge ahead of us to make sure that we defend and strengthen democracy for the next generation. So if you want more choices, if you want to, uh, like, for instance, help us bring ranked choice voting to Ohio, <laughs> you can start uh, doing the public education right now. You can go to rankthevoteohio.org, rtvo.org and sign our petition and uh, see other ways to get involved and help us bring about this uh, generational change. I would say Jen mentioned something that is, uh, I think is 100% correct, and that is going down to the state house um, and going to your city council meetings and, and really being an advocate there, because I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm a state house lobbyist of when young folks come down there. I mean, I, I couldn't, I'm, I'm stealing the words right out of Jen's mouth, but she's right come down there and speak and actually articulate what they believe, some of their thoughts. They're listening. I mean, folks are really listening. And I'll even do one step further because a lot of the younger electeds need you folks. You know why? Because you're going to be their voting base one day. And so that's important to build those relationships. And I can tell you, I have a lot of friends who are elected officials. They're looking for young folks like you to be part of their teams and, and help get, and not even just in the political, but help them build their policy agendas and say, hey, this is what I see from my world. That's great. I mean, to, to, I don't want to get into redistricting. That's a whole other thing. But the way that some of these um, the state house seats are built, you, have, you can represent the city of Euclid and represent Pepper Pike, or you can represent the middle of Cleveland and Pepper Pike. Those are two totally different neighborhoods with two totally different needs. And let's say you are from Cleveland and you get elected and have to rep represent Pepper Pike, you don't know anything about Pepper Pike. So if you live in Pepper Pike, it can help provide some education that now you're in the mix. Now you're policy making. Now you have a role in this thing. So I, I couldn't agree more with Jen about just going and getting involved. And even if you don't have anything to say, just sit and listen. You, you'll, you'll be shocked at some of the stuff you'll hear if you just sit at a city council meeting or a school board meeting or a, a state house meeting or, or whatever, a, a city of Cleveland budget meeting, because that's what they're doing right now. So, you know, I'll stop there. Uh, I, won't, I won't belabor the point, but uh, whatever it is, there is some way that you can get involved to organize your community to take action on the issues that impact you. Whether that's at your school, uh, you know, there, there's any number of policies that impact you at your school. Uh, a lot of our Ohio Student Association chapters are organizing around uh, campus issues and trying to get more funding for mental health services at their campus. There's many things that you can do uh, that 
in the institutions that impact you, that teach you the skills of community organizing, that make concrete changes in your life and the lives of the people you, you know and care about. Um, and there's, there's so many ways that you can be engaged. Uh, like other folks have said, getting your voice heard, giving testimony, writing a letter to the editor, taking part in a direct action, you know, whatever that might be. Uh, finding some way to, to take action is, there's so many ways. So, you know, pick one and then organize people to, to take action with you. I'll say I love all of that as a Gen Z myself. Um, next question for you, and this is a lot more overarching um, and two buzzwords we haven't even brought up yet. How can we address the issue of gerrymandering and other forms of voter suppression that happen outside the voting booth, even not in a legislative aspect? And how do we do so on a statewide and national level, respectively, when you know, we're in the state that now has the strictest voter ID laws, whereas other places vary so heavily? Raise your hand if you know what gerrymandering is. Yes, yes, I want you to know that um, 10 years ago, I think we could have the same, similar population and they would not know. So you know that it's about rigging maps, right? It's about picking house by house, voter by voter, who goes in what district. Um, we've been trying to address this for a long time. My organization started working on this campaign in the 1940s. Um, but what we saw most recently is what we know to be true, which is that politicians, elected officials, when they have the opportunity to make the map, it's just too tempting to rig it for them and their friends. It's just like if we had a basketball team and we had a special technology for our shoes, we wouldn't want any other basketball team to have that technology and that would give us that advantage. It's a human instinct. And so that's why we're really looking at states like Arizona and, and Michigan and other places where it's not politicians making those maps. Um, we were at the negotiating table for the reforms that we had now. We kept walking away because we wanted an independent commission. Um, and this time we're gonna have to demand it. And we're gonna need all kinds of folks collecting signatures. We're gonna need all kinds of folks knocking on doors and encouraging people to uh, vote and see what their voting plan is and, and educating them on why this matters. But what we're talking about is everyday people. You know, maybe one of you in this room would be on the commission. Maybe it's a mapping professor from Cleveland State. Everyday people from across the state, generally balanced in terms of party affiliation, so we don't have something lopsided. Maybe it's three Republicans, three Democrats, three independent. And then we need to make sure that the General Assembly and, and the um, governor couldn't undo those maps. Um, and so this is something that you're going to be seeing as early as next year. You know, you'll be seeing this on the ballot. Um, but it's going to take a lot of people power because those who are in charge want to stay in charge. And they want to rig the game. And so it's going to take all of us. Ranked choice voting can also help address the gerrymandering problem. And we're also uh, hoping to see a ballot initiative for it in the next couple of years. And we'll also need similar help because those lines are drawn based on a two-party two binary. And if more parties, more candidates are able to compete, it increases competition in all districts. And even if we kept the same system that we have where the politicians are in charge of making the maps, uh, ranked choice voting would actually put pressure on those politicians to appeal to the majority of pro-democracy voters instead of the anti-democracy extremists in their own party. We saw this past redistricting cycle. One of the members of the commission was texting his chief of staff saying, this, these maps are asinine, I shouldn't vote for them. 
His chief of staff texted him back and said, you have to because of your party, basically is what happened. And so we know that these people are corrupt. We know that they're rigging the system. That's why we need ranked choice voting to increase competition, reduce corruption, change the incentive structure to appeal to the majority of voters instead of just anti-democracy extremists. You know, just to illustrate something that, that essentially uh, putting numbers to kind of some of the things that Jen and Kyle were talking about here. So every question that you're going to ask today comes down to education and voting. I mean, I just, I would be shocked if there's one that doesn't. So there are 99 members of the Ohio House of Representatives. 66 of them are Republican. 33 are Democrat. There are seven Democratic senators in the whole state of Ohio. So just think about that. So that already tells you right there, there's some gerrymandering going on. And if I have that kind of control, why would I want to give that up? And, and so part of this is you got to get out to vote to up those numbers or, you know, maybe keep them depending on what party you're in. You may want to keep those numbers. You may want to up them. And, and so be very clear about how serious, and really when I was your age, I'm trying to put myself in you guys' shoes. I didn't understand how serious all this stuff was. Like, uh, redistricting, gerrymandering, okay, great. Like, I got practice at four o'clock. So really understanding how that affects the policies that are made. I mean, you know, if you, you may not have a school bus in your school system because there's somebody out in rural Ohio who says, you don't need, you don't deserve one, you don't need one. That's, guess what? Because I got 65 other colleagues that voted. Let me tell you, until about two weeks ago, they voted as a block. Yeah. So both parties vote, vote as blocks. So if I can get all 66, and, and sorry, I'm going to belabor a point here, but I just want to be clear. Because I'll tell you, as a, as a lobbyist, how serious this is. There are times where I have issues where I don't even pick up the phone and call a Democratic member. You know why? I don't need to. The Republicans have 66 votes. What do I need, need to call a Democrat for? This is the party I need to focus on. And this is just being serious. It's shame on me. I'll, I, I know I'm exposing myself a little bit here. But that, that's, that's bad. That's not how this system was not set up. Well, I guess the system was set up for that. But it's not supposed to be set up for that. So, you know, I, I just want to stress how serious some of these issues of redistricting and gerrymandering really are. Because something that's happening in Monoclova, Ohio, which I'm sure nobody here knows what that even is, is affecting what's going to happen in Cleveland, Ohio. So... I don't even know if I answered your question, but I had to get that off my chest. Well, and the numbers, <laughs> let's be clear, though, that what he's saying is about 66% of the Ohio House is held by Republicans, even though they only got about 54% of the vote. Right. So right. do you see that? So if, if the maps were really responding to the people of Ohio, we would see almost balance between Republicans yep. and Democrats. But because one party gets to really keep that control and power, they can do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we got to fix these maps. There is a whole bunch of places in the Ohio State House, though, that there are seats that are very close. Yes, and literally 100 votes <coughs> can change an outcome of an election. And that's where, even if you aren't old enough to vote yet, making sure those in your life are voting. Um, because we, some of the, we could have some mm -hmm. more parity if more folks were just showing up. Yeah. 
And um, I'll, I'll add just uh, saying a little bit more about the voter suppression that goes on. Um, Ohio, you know, as, as Zoe was saying, Ohio now has one of the strictest voter ID laws in the whole country. And that was done intentionally to, to suppress young people from voting, people of color, poor folks, folks who, you know, may be moving a lot. Uh, you know, now you have to have an Ohio uh, <coughs> state ID or driver's license in order, you know, to be able to vote, and it's got to match uh, your current address, or you have to bring a utility bill, no. and that's a lot of stuff. Um, no. What was that? No. You, you, you're, I'm sorry. Um, if you need your Ohio state ID or your Ohio driver's license, just needs to be current. Mm -hmm. It does not have to have your address no, on Yeah, there. but but you do have to bring, like, your, uh, like, a, a I'm, that's what I I'm, well I'm wrong nope. never mind sorry sorry <laughs> what happens when you go to check in is you, they will ask you your address and even if it's not the same this is all about proof of identity you can use a passport a state ID an Ohio ID I should say from the BMV Ohio driver's license um, and but if, you, if that's hard then vote absentee because you can use right. the last four of your social. Exactly. So yeah, but uh, that said, it's still like a lot of people may not have an you know an ID uh, of, of any kind. And when we talk about like out of state students, for instance, we were just talking beforehand about how you know the the need to have um, uh, like a, a an Ohio ID, some form of Ohio ID um, for many folks. Like if you're coming from out of state, like how do you go and get one? I mean. Um, this is something we have a lot of students kind of concerned about right now. And if you do get an Ohio uh, driver's license, say, then your, your driver's license in your home state, like you, that, that is no longer valid anymore. Uh, so it just is really suppressing the voices of young people. And one of the things too that, um, you know, like kind of on a, a different note, um, one of the ways that we can try and push back against this, like the places where we do have power, where we're not, you know, completely gerrymandered uh, out of out of having a fair shake, which again, like Jen and others were saying, it's still worth voting to try and tip the scales a little bit. Uh, but really focusing in on your local elections, you know, those are places where you can really make a difference. Uh, where you know, um, I forget who was just saying this too, but some of, some of these districts, and in particularly in local elections, uh, the the difference is a number of of like a couple dozen. You know, I think there was a city council race in Cleveland a couple years ago where it was like 11 votes that made the difference. Um, you know, our, our uh, school levy that we passed uh, two years ago in Cleveland Heights, the difference for that was like, you know, just, just I think it was, um, it was only like 50 votes, you know, uh, which made a huge difference for, for young people. So even though there are so many barriers that are put up, there's a lot of ways, you know, I'm sure that the League of Women Voters has, uh, has like information online about how to navigate some of these new things. If you go to votewriters.org, they will send you as many uh, informational cards about how to navigate this new law uh, as you want. They'll send you, you know, a thousand if you want them, if you want to pass them out. So there's lots of ways that we can both you know, seek to, to register people and continue to vote under these new restrictions, as well as motivate people in the places where we're not experiencing uh, as much gerrymandering, where your vote has the most impact. I feel like that's a great point to end on, and I think we can all end with agreeing, go bug someone in your life to vote in November. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Shreya to take us to our mid-forum. One, my name is Shreya Chalu, and I'm a sophomore at Beechwood High School and a <coughs> member of the Youth Forum Council. Today's Youth Forum Council features a discussion about voting for more diverse candidates. Our moderator today is Youth Forum Council member Zoe Allenbogen. We're about to begin the audience Q&A. Uh, we welcome questions from everyone, city council members, guests, students, or those of you joining us via our webcast. We ask that you keep your questions brief as we want to give as many people as possible a chance to ask questions. 
If you're joining us via web webcast and would like to ask a question, tweet your question at City Club Youth and we'll ask as time allows. Holding microphones today are Youth Council members Nathan Callahan and Caden Coleman. Thank you all so much for joining us, and I will hand it back to Zoe Ellenbogen to get the Q&A portion of our forum started. Awesome. It looks like we have a first question ready to go. Thank you. I'm very glad to listen to all of you. Number one, I agree with most of what you've said. However, you're not addressing one of the most serious issues that I'd like to have your opinion, and it's called dark money. Mm -hmm. Today, I don't care what your ideas are. What are your thoughts? Because we've tried many things. And of course, for those that don't know it, most of the dark money is coming through the super PACs. It's going to cost, in 2024, a billion dollars for the presidential election. A city council seat can cost 50,000. You're not getting qualified people. What's the thoughts of you folks? Because you're coming into it fresh. How do we address it? Everything that's been done has failed. Well, there are efforts to overturn Citizens United, but that is a huge constitutional issue. Uh, but for me and my organization, uh, we see ranked choice voting as a way to bring more incremental step to addressing corruption. And here's why, because it levels the playing field for people with less money to compete. And it gives, when it, you have more options on the ballot, and you know that you can try to vote for the least corrupt candidates, rank the least corrupt candidates, instead of being stuck with only one or two choices who you may know are already corrupt, and you may be wed to one party or the other, just because you, think, you justify it by saying, well, the other side is even worse. And so with ranked choice voting, you don't have to vote for the lesser of two evils. And that's really important here in Ohio, which is one of the most corrupt states in the country, which we saw as part of the first energy scandal, where the uh, leader of that in the state house ran unopposed for re-election and won after he was indicted. Imagine if there'd just been more choices on that ballot. And let's talk about Citizens United. Remember, that's where the Supreme Court of the United States said that money is free speech and that corporations were people and therefore um, they could give unlimited amounts of money. Um, Part of that, though, Citizens United also called for more transparency. In that decision, where it said unlimited amounts of dark money is allowed, it said that states should update their transparency laws. Ohio hasn't done that. And so the first thing that we need to do is be able to follow the money. So that if someone is uh, a candidate, you better understand their policies if you know who's signing their paycheck. Right? You understand issues that are on the ballot if you understand who's funding those, right? So if someone's getting most of their money from big pharma, right? The drug industry, that would help you know why they what they really stand for, maybe when it comes to reforming the drug industry, right? And so one of the pieces is just following the money better. Um, I'll tell you this, there's not a lot of capacity to do that among voter advocates. So we also need volunteers that we can teach you how to read campaign finance reforms, camp campaign finance filings, and then you could actually be part of educating voters on what's happening. It's true, some of it will remain dark, but a lot of it we can still follow better than we do. Yeah, the one thing I'd say is if you're 18, vote in November 2024, because Supreme Court justices are the ones who make that call. So 
Um, I, you know, I, I could dance around it, and I think it really that's just a pure political issue. You know what I mean? And I think that pure political issue sometimes coming down just to vote. Get get your people in. If you get your people in, you can make the rules. Absolutely. All right. From here, can we have the next question? Yes. Um, well, I'm a teacher, and I'm sure a lot of you all are teachers, and obviously students in here. We've heard about processes. We've heard about education. We've heard about implementation. Um, we need to create a new demographic. Hmm. Uh, this demographic drives. This demographic, if they have jobs, they pay taxes, so they're citizens. This demographic is fully engaged in the democratic process because they take the classes daily. Why can't we allow 16-year-olds to vote? Mm. So for Mr. Bowen and Mr. Herman and Ms. Miller and Ms. Collier, I just want you all to think about this. I want to put this yeah. in the air. Yeah. Why can't 16-year-olds vote? My students who I teach government to have an understanding of the democratic process. They have jobs. Yep. They drive. If we can trust someone with a 2,000 pound vehicle, right. we can trust them with a pen and a ballot box. And you're constantly saying, be it advocates for people who are older, why can't they advocate for themselves? I can, uh, oh, uh, who wants to that's a hollow. Yeah, go good. ahead, no. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I agree. Yeah, amen on that. I mean. I would say, like, I'll tell you why. It's because, you know, young people uh, are overwhelmingly voting progressive and who controls uh, who gets to vote. You know, I mean, you look at how, uh, how like, the, the power is distributed. I mean, it doesn't, <coughs> doesn't benefit people to, to open uh, up that playing field uh, to young people. I mean, it's the same reason that we're seeing these types of voter suppression tactics to, to prevent young people who are already allowed to vote from, from being able to vote, to make it much harder to vote. Uh, but I 100% agree with you. Start a petition. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know, to that, to that point, it goes back to something that Jen and I touched on earlier. So number one, let me go on the record, say I 100% agree with you as well. Um, Advocate for yourself. My mom said, if you want something, go get it. So start a petition. I would put that back on, on other people's. I'm 35, so if I'm 16 and want to vote, I'd go down to the state house and start beating the walls down and saying, hey, I want this right to do it. Because look, I can tell you one thing about politics. I learned though, at a very young age, nothing is given to you in politics. Yeah. So you got to go take it. And so, well, I shouldn't say it that way because people watch. You have to go earn your way, and you really have to work hard to go get it. So I, I would say 100% agree. I'll see you guys at the State House. They're meeting next week. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. great. Love that. I would just love to remind us all that when this country was first founded, it was white men who had property who could vote. Right. Um, we have continued to expand the ballot box, right? Um, you know, if you think about, and, and it's not as simple and as clean as people think, right? So 1920 was supposedly <coughs> when women got the right to vote, but actually Puerto Rican women who couldn't read weren't able to vote until the 1930s. Native Americans weren't guaranteed their right to vote until the 1960s. People with disabilities didn't have full access to the ballot until the 1980s. Folks were dying, or young men were dying in Vietnam not old enough to vote for president until we lowered that to 18. 
this is, there's two lessons here. The first lesson is if there wasn't power in voting, they wouldn't have made it so difficult for us to all get it to begin yeah. with. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. But the second is that you can take up a petition and it will mm -hmm. take time, but um, you can take up a petition for 16 year olds. And I think that's a great idea. That's what we have to continue to do mm -hmm. is expand the ballot to more people. Because when we all participate, our democracy works better. Um, and I'll add one more thing. There's actually somebody, um, I just saw an article recently, someone in Oregon is, is pushing for this. Um, so if you're, if you're interested in like learning you know, what's moving in other states, uh, maybe, <coughs> maybe start with Googling that. So just one thing to add. Nice, great resource here. Can we have the next question on that side? Good afternoon. Uh, appreciate the conversation this afternoon. I will wholeheartedly encourage students what you need to do, hopefully, is to go back and look at election history because I'd like you to know about when was the election that had the most uh, uh, voter turnout? When did that election occur? When did the election occur that had the highest voter turnout? Anybody, just shout it out. Wasn't it um, in 19, it was, I know it was when Reagan. No, it was last, it was, it was in 2020. And what I'm saying is, is that Dismiss history a little bit. Go back and do the research. Look it up. Because this, it's changing now. You are a part of that change. But you need to go back and study the history. Because everyone tells you that, oh, voting is so important. Voting is so important. Voting hasn't been that important in the United States for years, for decades, for almost half a century. It hasn't been that important. So now it's turned where people are making decisions have come to realize that more people like yourselves are educated and starting to participate in the process. But what I wanted the panel to address was the dichotomy we have with voter turnout in that we have such a mass turnout at the federal level, but then it bottoms out when we get to the state and local level. I mean, Justin Bibb got elected with less than 35% of the total population vote, I mean, the total registered vote. So if you could please address that conversation. Well, I, I, let me just hop in probably. I'll, I'll take the low-hanging fruit easiest answer. And I know, I know what the answer is going to be when I say this here, <laughs> but it, it's money. I mean, look, during presidential elections, you got federal money coming in and just flooding areas like Cleveland to get turnout out. And by the way, the turnout still wasn't that great. But, you know, there's a lot more money in the federal elections there is in a local election. I mean, I would probably say, if, and I'm guessing here, the mayor's race probably in Cleveland Maybe it was five million. Maybe I mean that is that is one buy in one area for a presidential. So I, so I think it has something to do with pretty much the the money coming in there. I mean I think that would be probably the low hanging fruit answer. There's probably another half an hour I could go on some of the other answers, but I'll I'll stop there. First of all, thank you for bringing up history. I teed um, you up there. <laughs> and, but uh, the City Club Cleveland. I'm so honored to be speaking here. It was founded in 1912 as part of the progressive movement. That's when we first got uh, many of the progressive reforms, like home rule for cities, like uh, the ability to do city initiative, ballot initiatives, and things like that. The following year in 1913 is when Cleveland started using ranked choice voting for the first time. They called it the preferential ballot. It was the same type of ballot that started being used in Australia more than 100 years ago and is still being used in Australia today. Ranked choice voting was used in Cleveland uh, first uh, for single winner elections and then for, to achieve proportional representation with multi-member districts. Uh, and it was 
It lasts for a couple decades until it was repealed in 1931 on the fourth try by the corrupt party bosses who were trying to get rid of it. And during that period when Cleveland had ranked choice voting, you saw an increase in the number of African Americans <coughs> who were elected that was proportional to the population of African Americans in the city. You saw women being elected for the first time in Cleveland and for four elections in a row. And then for the next three elections after it was repealed, no women were elected. Uh, you saw a greater diversity of ideology and partisan representation on Cleveland City Council. Uh, you saw this happening in four other Ohio cities as well. And it was repealed because it was too effective at increasing the diversity of representation. And that's why I'm a broken record on why we need to bring ranked choice voting back. <laughs> I'm just going to say that in 2016, there were more eligible voters who didn't vote than voted for the presidential winner. More eligible voters in the United States did not vote than voted for Trump. So I want to put, point that out there. But the other thing I want to mention is that even though 2020 was such so large for turnout, with each, the farther you get down in the ballot, the more voters skip the races. There's hundreds of thousands of votes different in terms of how many were cast for governor versus for county commissioner or local judge. So part of it is also vote your whole ballot. Again, politics is local. Those folks that are getting elected to local office are affecting your daily lives far more in many ways than who is the governor of Ohio or who the president of the United States is. Absolutely. Yeah, on the set. Hi, um, if I have a job, I'm getting taxed by the government, but since I'm under 18, I'm not allowed to vote um, for representation of myself. Why are we being taxed without any representation as people like under 18? And how can this be addressed or changed like, for us to like, make a movement? I feel like that sounds like a great question. messaging point to start that campaign <laughs> to get 16-year-olds <laughs> recognized. I feel like that's, that's like a, a top-tier talking point. That's a great question. We're with you. <laughs> Let's have it from the other side now. All right. Um, I want to first ask the panelists a question, but this is more for the, uh, those in attendance uh, to also participate in the question, and that is first. Um, I believe that whenever we are providing information, we should also provide a pathway to the action behind the suggestions and the information that's being shared, as well as the encouragement that you're hearing today. And so, panelists, first and foremost, if any of these people in this room I'm identifying people because student or not, teacher or not, you are a person in this community. Would you support them if they chose to begin this petition? Would you support them if they chose to run for office? Would you support them if they chose to have an, an interest in participating in the electoral process? Panelists, would you support them? I mean, I could start off by, the, to answer your first question, I'd sign the petition, 100%. The second part, would I support you for running for office? No, because I need to know who you are. So I need to know something about you and what you believe. And so that goes back to the education side of things. So uh, that's my answer to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the in spirit, yes. I mean, uh, there's there's like I would help you to connect with people who could support you on whatever given issue was. Uh, if you go to an Ohio college, 
100%, I will, uh, you know, with open arms, because I, I, the Ohio Student Association, we, we organize college students around educational, racial, and economic justice. So if you are a college student and you want to join an OSA chapter, I will mentor you, provide training, resources, support, uh, you know, for, for uh, campus organizing and beyond. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, that said, like, yes, it's also a matter of, like, yeah, I'll help you figure out where you can plug in and who can really support you. Rank the Vote Ohio is a single <laughs> issue organization because we're building a broad coalition across the political spectrum for the single issue of instant runoffs with ranked choice voting, but we're doing it because we see it as a very important piece of the larger puzzle to address all these other issues that we're talking about, which is why we need your help, so that we can help you as well. So the League of Women Voters never supports candidates or parties. We're neutral so that when we show up, we're, we're talking about voters. And, and voters' perspective on what they need for elections to work. But I would say this, and I've said this before um, to some of you, all the time we have youth groups, high schools, Girl Scout troops, whatever, call my office and ask if they can come down and visit. We're right across from the State House. And you can come hang out with us. You can practice your lobby. Even if it's not something we work on, you can practice your lobby speech with us. We'll help you get your, uh, uh, your visits with your lawmakers. We'll buy you lunch, you know? So um, I'm just saying that's a place where you're always invited yeah. to engage with League, whether it's through official processes as a member or you just want to bring some folks down to participate. But I, I think just to add on, you know, because I get what the general gist is and I, I agree with it, you know, one thing, part of education is using the resources around you. I mean, you obviously see that we care about this issue because we're taking the time out of our day. So, sorry, I gotta sound like my mom right now. But, you know, <laughs> use, use the resources around you and use the folks like us as resources to help you get, you know, no question is a dumb question, particularly if you care. And so I would definitely use the resources up on this stage because we all come from very different worlds in the same political world. So I completely get where the gist of the question was from. And so now to those in attendance, now we've heard four different professional perspectives on how they would be available and able to support you in your efforts. And what I'm trying to do now is, for those who I'm understanding is in this room that's understanding the topic matter, that's understanding the pressured issues that we are facing here in Ohio, that we are understanding your local residents in East Palestine have needed your voice for at least a week. Ohioans need your voice. Well, raise a hand. If you're ready to get involved, I'll take your name, your phone number, your email address. I'll find out how we can communicate because we need you. I'm getting older and you're my next leader. You're going to be my next community representative. You're going to be the one representative of your family, of this school, of this alumni, anything and everywhere that you go. It requires choices. And we are talking about choices at a ballot, in a ballot box. We're, we're talking about choices that have an impact and ramifications that impact the politics of the state and of your local community. But it comes down to individual choice of simply taking action on the first step, and that is simply raising your hand to sign up to get involved. Because no matter what is being said, unless we get to that point of recognizing we ourselves, no matter what age we are, no matter whether or not we make money or not, no matter whether you have a car of your own or not, no matter what background you come from, you have a purpose, you have a role, there's a need for your involvement. And there's definitely space and room and a seat at the table for your personhood, for your face and representation to be seen and heard. And I encourage you.
Join the fight, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just information. This is not just about wishes. It's not just about getting older. That it can go on, but then this is a real life matter that is up to you. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Over here. Um, so I was wondering, like when you were talking about gerrymandering, like if you were from a party that would benefit from it, um, like what would be your reason for wanting like equal districts and non gerrymandered districts? Mm. It's, a, it's a fair point. So the first thing is actually both parties in Ohio have gerrymandered. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, because it's just too tempting, and so you could be afraid that the other party, even if your party's in power, that the other party at some point will win and then get to rig maps. It's one reason. Another reason is because when politicians are running, their most important election becomes the primary, so then they have to play to extremes. And maybe they're more of a moderate candidate. Maybe there's someone who wants to work across the aisle to find common sense solutions. That becomes really hard when you have so many extremists in that, in that elected body, that, that state house or that city council. So those would be some of those reasons. And building off Jen's point, not everyone agrees 100% with that party even, or, the, or every candidate from that party if they might support that party in general. And so if you had instant runoffs over ranked choice voting, you could have moderates, extremists, larger flavors from across the political spectrum all running in the same race together instead of just one party or another. Absolutely. All right, I think that was our last question. Um, this has all been amazing, and I think let's end with bug someone to go vote. Good afternoon, everyone. Again, my name is Sudi Ramesh. I'm a junior at Solon High School and a member of the Youth Forum Council. Now, today's forum featured a conversation on how Gen Z is navigating this ever-evolving political landscape. And joining us today were Michael Bowen, JD, and the second vice president of the Cuyahoga County Young Democrats and attorney at Calfi, Halter, and Griswold. Next was Kyle Herman, executive director at Rank the Vote Ohio. Rachel Collier, Program Director of the Ohio Student Association, and Jen Miller, Executive Director at the League of Women Voters Ohio. Thank you so much for our panelists for joining us today, and we greatly appreciate your insights on the topic. And our moderator today was Youth Forum Council member Zoe Ellenbogen. Uh, the City Club uh, Youth Forums are sponsored by AT&T with additional support from Doris C. Um, <coughs> Michael Ski Trustee, and we are thankful for Chair and Chuck Fowler Foundation and the William M. Weiss Foundation, and we're great, grateful for all of their support. And thank you to the Cuyahoga Community College for purchasing a table today, and thank you to the schools in attendance, both in person and watching in our live stream. And thank you all so much for joining us today. Please be sure to apply to our annual essay contest, um, the Hope and Stanley Adelstein Essay Contest and visit cityclub.org for information about joining the council and any information regarding upcoming forums, including the annual high school debate championship that's going to be held on February, March 10th. And our forum today is now adjourned. Good job. You did great. For information on upcoming no, events or for no, podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you, Zoe. So good. So good. We all did well.
Hey, what do you think would fix it? <laughs> Production and distribution <laughs> of City Club right. forms on IdeaStream Public Media are made possible by PNC <laughs> and the United approach. Black Fund of Greater Cleveland, Incorporated. No, I, your passion comes through. Okay. <laughs>